is everyone tonight? Amen. How about everybody else who didn't answer? You're good too. The silent majority. So Matthew 13, uh, we're working our way through Matthew here. Um, looking at kingdom parables. By now we should understand what parables are and why the kingdom needs to be explained to us. Um, parables are stories that Jesus used to speak to the multitudes. They were uh, lessons that he derived from very common, well-known things, but he would derive a deeper spiritual meaning from them. So showing the things of the kingdom to us. Why? Because we are in this world, but we're not of it. The minute we come to Jesus Christ, we're translated from the darkness and the kingdom of this world and from our sinful nature into citizens of the kingdom of God. So if you're born again tonight, if you're a, a blood-bought child of the Lamb, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And you and I are just passing through here. So uh, as we're passing through, realize we don't have to build our kingdoms here. Well, let me say that again because only Pat said amen. We don't have to build our kingdoms here. Because our kingdom is in heaven. And everything we do here should be working towards that and paying towards that and adding up treasure towards that. Because all the treasures of this world, they're not coming with us. They're going to just rot and rust and burn. Everything that we hold so dear to here is not going to follow us into eternity. What is going to follow us into eternity are the things we do for the kingdom and the people we affect for the kingdom that we can actually take with us. You can't take your house, you can't take your car, you can't take your toys. You're going to leave all your toys behind. But listen, we can take people with us. So we're talking about the kingdom tonight. I'm going to read verses 51 and 52 of Matthew 13, and we're going to jump into this next parable. Jesus says unto them, Have you understood all these things? They say unto him, yes, Lord. Then he said unto them, therefore, every scribe, say scribe, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. So we're just going to look at those two verses tonight, and we're going to see what the Lord tucked in there for us. Now, this next parable might not seem much, but like a bow, it ties together all of the parables that we've just heard, and it applies them directly to Jesus's followers. The disciples follow Jesus. We're not just fans of Jesus. We're not just, you know, on team Jesus. We are followers of Jesus tonight. If you're a follower of Jesus, say amen. We're his disciples. And so this parable relates directly to his disciples that he's talking to, and so it relates directly to us. Now, in application of this, we're going to see how Jesus makes application to those who are sitting around him. And I want you today to make application to your own life because you're a disciple of his. Now, as the people of God and as followers of Jesus Christ, we are all in a position of spiritual authority. If you're born again, then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have a measure of the Holy Spirit. Your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your eternity is settled. You belong to Jesus. You're a child of God, and with that comes spiritual authority. Stop looking at me like you're weak and confused. You are 
a child of God. You are filled with the Spirit of God. You have the power of God residing in you. Come on tonight. And you have spiritual authority. And so uh, we need to understand as kingdom people, we have spiritual authority and we have obligations to the kingdom of God. And we're going to have to use our spiritual authority to effectuate the things of the kingdom here on earth. Now, Jesus wants feedback from his disciples and he asked them a question here, and it's a very blunt, simplistic question. In verse 51, he says to them, have you understood all these things? So if you remember, who remembers being in school way back when dinosaurs roamed the earth? Amen. And the teacher would say, like, just before a test, do you guys understand all the material? Anybody? And what, and what did we usually say because we wanted the teacher to stop talking or we wanted to get out of class or we were thinking about what we were going to do at home? We said, yes, yes, we understand it. Right, Ray? Yes, we understand it. And then Monday morning, the test is in front of us, and we were like, I should have asked questions <laughs> because I don't understand it. I don't remember it. I don't know why this fraction needs to be divided in the first place. I don't care what the square root of it is. So... Jesus, like a good teacher, asked his students, asked his disciples, do you understand these things? Now, he wanted feedback. He wanted his followers not just to hear the words that he spoke. He wanted them to live them. He wanted them to execute the commands and the principles he was giving them in their daily routine. See, Jesus wasn't one of these talking heads like we see on TV or in politics or even sometimes in churches that just want to hear themselves talk. And are enamored with the pretty words that come out of their mouth. They say stuff. And I, I used to have a person that would say things. He would say stuff to me and then go like this. Like he was so impressed with what was coming out of my mouth. And I'm thinking, when is this going to be over? I, I could go for a root canal right about now. Just totally impressed with what. And I'm thinking, you know, Jesus is not like that. He really wants to know if we are getting it. Why? Because he wants us to live it. He, he doesn't, you know, just, oh, man, the, when I gave the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, you should have been there. I was something. I was on that day. I'm telling you. No, he wants to know, guys, are you getting what I'm saying here? Do you understand all these things? We are to take what Jesus said. We're to take his commands as kingdom people and work them into our daily routines. Now, James makes it abundantly clear that this is tr true. Listen to James 1, 21 through 25. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all filthiness and all that remain of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently in the perfect law and the law of freedom and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. Man, if you, I know that was a lot, but hopefully you swallowed it all because it was powerful. Jesus is saying, if you hear what I say and do what I say, you're going to be blessed in everything you do. And that's why he didn't just want to say words. He wanted to make sure 
his disciples, his followers, his children, his spiritual offspring had comprehended what he said. Now, there are two proofs that we are connected to Jesus. The first one is this. His word changes us from the inside out. What proves that we're connected to Jesus is not how many scriptures we can quote, how, many, uh, how much of our life we sat in church, you know, how, how many Bibles we have. What proves that we're really connected to Jesus is that his word changes us. And I notice I qualified it by saying his word changes us from the inside out because superficial change is not genuine change. We can change on the outside. We can change our exterior. Have you ever seen a person clean themselves up? You know, they get in trouble, they get arrested, and they got to appear in court. And then all of a sudden, man, that person that looked horrible and was all disheveled, now all of a sudden they got a suit and a haircut and a tie. Is this hitting too close to home? And they clean themselves all up. Well, well, did they really become a new person? Did they change their ways? Did they stop their criminal activity? Well, probably not. They probably just changed the exterior. And so we've got to be careful with superficial change because God sees right through it. You might fool the judge. You might fool the uh, district attorney. You might even fool the jury. But you'll never fool God. And what proves that we're connected to him is that his word changes us from the inside out. And then number two, the fact that we do what he asks us to do proves that we're connected to him. It's not just hearing it, but it's doing it. And we've got to give our best sincere effort to apply these things as the Holy Spirit makes them real to us. John 14, 5, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I say to do. Amen. Now, none of us do what he says to do perfectly. Amen. So take the pressure off yourself. But we've got to give the sincere effort to do what he's asked us to do. If we're categorically ignoring what we know Jesus told us to do, to love one another, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to, you know, to, to be the hands and feet of him, to visit the sick in prison, and all the things he said to do, if we, if we just don't bother to do any of those things, how connected are we to him? So, guys, do you understand all the things I just said? And Jesus asked his squad there. He says, guys, you're getting this? You're picking up what I'm laying down. Do you understand all these things? Notice that how he says it there. He doesn't say, did you understand most of it? Did you understand some of it? Who got this part? Who? No, he said, did you understand all of these things? The all should jump out at us here because it implies we need to have a complete comprehension of what Jesus requires of us to be effective in the kingdom of God. See, having partial truth or partial knowledge or partial obedience still makes us disobedient or ignorant. You doing okay out there Wednesday night? Is this too heavy? Do you want me to save it for Sunday? So, you know, this whole idea of are, are you understanding all of these things shows us we've got to comprehend not just bits and pieces, but we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate it, to allow the eyes of our understanding, as Paul said, to be enlightened so we see the truth and we uh, have the Holy Spirit in us revealing truth to us, you know, and illuminating the word. When we read the word of God, it comes alive to us. 
If you're, if you're saying, I'm a Christian, but I don't understand anything I read in here, you really need to examine your heart and make sure you're in the faith and that you're born again. Because once the Holy Spirit resides in you, you're going to understand this a whole lot more than before he wasn't there. Now, you're not going to get it all, and none of us do, and he reveals it to us in time. And the word of God to me is like a diamond with many facets. You can see all different angles of it. It's alive. It's breathing. So, you know, you could read the same passage for 15 years and open it up one morning and get something fresh and brand new out of it. So understand these things. He wants us to have a comprehensive understanding of what he requires of us. Partial ignorance of scripture, of basic doctrine, of theology, of a biblical worldview is the undoing of the body of Christ. Why is the church not function as the church should function? Why do we flounder? Why do we falter? Why do we war against each other? Why don't we speak to the, the culture with one voice? Why are we fragmented, even in our worldview, even in our politics, even over moral issues like abortion and, and homosexuality? Why can't we get it right? It's because we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth and to show us all things. And Jesus is saying, do you understand what I've asked of you, what I've required of you, what my commands are, what the word says we should do? Listen to what Hosea 4, 6 says. My people are destroyed. Say destroyed. Does that sound serious? Does it sound serious? You, you think he's kidding? My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Since you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from being my priests. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Ouch. Thank God it's not the New Testament. Some of us look very concerned out there right now. The Old Testament was heartless. It was the law. There was no grace. But look what God says to him. You know, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Why? Because they don't know me. They don't know my word. They haven't taken the time to get intimate with me. And because of that, you know, I, he, he's saying to Israel right here, you guys better seek me when you can find me because, you know, if not, I'm going to reject you. I'm going to reject your priest. That means you're going to be in the dark. You're not going to have any spiritual connection to me. And, and he even says that I'll forget your children. Wow. Now, the God of the Old Testament is not just, you know, some angry codger who took an anger management course, and now in the New Testament, he's gracious. He's the same God. The only difference is the blood of Jesus allows him to show us grace. But look at the intent there. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You and I need to know Jesus. We need to know the commands. We need to know Scripture. And so that's why you look like the smartest group of people here on Wednesday night coming to church and getting the word and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill your spirit with God's truth. So uh, powerful things here that we're looking at. Jesus asked the question, um, you know, now I know a lot of what I said there is Old Testament law and we're under grace. But don't be fooled for a moment to think that we can be ignorant of New Testament doctrine, of the commandments of Jesus, and it's not going to have a cost to our soul. We've got to understand, you know, we're, we're to develop intimacy with Jesus and to know what he's asked us to do uh, in a broad sense and in a personal sense. I know the word of God and the commands of Jesus and what he's asked and, you know, try to do those things, but I also know the hope of my calling, and I'm following it, and you are too, amen? So 
there's a call to intimacy here, and Jesus wants to know if they get it. And uh, their response to him is interesting. You know, it's one that we would give in a classroom with the teacher says, you understand all the material? Yes. So they say, yes, we understand it all. How many, how many think that they really did understand it all? No. You're going to raise your hand to be the, uh, play the devil's advocate? Okay. No, they really didn't understand it all, and we don't ever understand it all. And so we should always approach the Lord in humility with, you know, the fact that, you know, show us, Lord, show us where we're wrong, show us where we're missing it, to be like David, to say, search my heart, search me and know me, see if there would be any wicked way in me, amen? The minute we think we know it all and we, with a knee-jerk reaction, say, yes, Lord, I, we know it all, <laughs> we're acting like Peter, amen? Remember Peter always... Peter only took his foot out of his mouth to change feet. And, you know, that Peter spirit can get on us. So do you understand what I'm saying here? And they say yes. And Jesus knows that they don't have a full comprehension of it. He knows what's going to happen in the garden. He knows how they're going to be scattered. He knows how Peter's going to deny him. He knows how they're going to lose heart and lose faith. He knows all that stuff. But he takes their answer and he leaves it for now because he knows this is as far as he could bring them right then. Now, verse 52 is a powerful moment for the disciples here because Jesus' word is his words to them are actually cluing in them into the function they're going to have concerning the kingdom of God and the church when he's gone. See, they're not quite sure that, you know, what, what's going to happen or when, if he's going to go and he's saying some cryptic things and they're not really getting it, but he's showing them what their job is going to be when he's gone and he is going to go and at some point they're going to remember these things and the Holy Spirit's going to empower them to do the work. But look what he says. Then he says unto them, therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which brings forth out of his treasures things new and old. So the word scribe is important there because it's describing what the disciples are going to be in the kingdom when Jesus uh, is done with the cross and ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father. He calls them scribes. Now, that's a very important office, um, depicting them as scribes. He's saying it to them. Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven, and he's implying that you guys are going to be the scribes here, uh, my disciples, my followers. Now, the function of a scribe was to copy the word of God, understand they didn't have computers, they didn't have typewriters. They had to take the holy text that was written, uh, the Pentateuch that was written by Moses, and scribes had to copy it word for word, line for line, with every jot and every tittle, every mark of punctuation, and get it perfect so that it could be copied and passed down through the generations so that we could have God's word in our hand tonight. That's what a scribe did. How many think scribes had to have it together? They had to be knowledgeable. They should be able to read and write and understand grammar. They should have good penmanship. And that's what a scribe did. And everyone sitting there knew what a scribe did. And so he's calling them scribes in a roundabout way. And hopefully they're picking up what he's laying down here. But this is what they're going to do. The scribes copied the scripture. They, they did it word for word. They preserved the integrity of the text, they kept it in its pure state for the people of God. Now, scribes knew the word of God 
inside out and backwards. They copied it over and over, line for line, word for word. They knew it better than most anyone, and they were actually responsible to teach it to Israel. The guys who copied it and preserved it also were, their function was to teach it. So when Jesus talked about the scribes or the teachers or the teachers of the law, that's these guys. They had an important office and an important job. And, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they've done an amazing job because we've got this in our hands tonight. And it's, it's perfectly accurate. It's the word of God. And it will change your life if you apply it to your daily living. So he's saying, guys, you're, you're going to be scribes. And, you know, that's going to be your job. And you're going to preserve the doctrine. You're going to preserve the word. You're going to preserve the things I've taught you. And then you're going to teach them to the body of Christ when I'm gone. As followers of Jesus Christ, you and I should have a solid understanding of the gospel. You and I should be able to articulate the gospel to other people. We should know the commands of Jesus to love God, to love one another, to love our neighbor as ourselves. We, we should know what Jesus has asked us to do. Amen. So we know the word. We know the commands. We know the plan of salvation. We should know the pattern of New Testament Christian living. There was a book that I read when I was in Bible school, uh, How Shall We Then Live by Francis Schaeffer. He was an existential Christian writer, and he, he wrote a, a, a masterful work, How Shall We Then Live, just, you know, uh, teaching us how to live our faith in the context of the New Testament. Powerful guy, a philosopher, an existential writer, but uh, how shall we then live? And this is, this is the job of these, you know, disciples and of us today that we are able to articulate the gospel and you know the biblical pattern and how we should live that means if you sat down with a lost person you should be able to tell them how to get saved that you should be able to lead them to christ and to pray with them and allow them to be born again and then you should be able to give them a framework of what they need to do to make their faith grow you, some of you look concerned some of you look scared some of you tapped out five minutes ago but this is what he's given them tonight. And, th and as his disciples, this is what he's giving us tonight, that we are the scribes who carry and preserve the word and we teach it to those who don't know it. Powerful, powerful thoughts. So the reason I believe that the church doesn't grow as exponentially as it could is because I think most Christians today are not equipped to reproduce themselves spiritually. We haven't become scribes. Do you know, the hope of our calling is not that we would, you know, live a happy, clappy life and have goosebumps and fall into the arms of Jesus. The hope of our life is that we would preach the gospel and make disciples and lead others to Christ and take them to heaven with us. But most of us are not prepared or not motivated or, or not even trained enough to spiritually reproduce ourselves. We have entire churches that think it's not even their job. They're not evangelical. They don't think, well, you know, who's ever going to be saved is going to be saved. And that's the Holy Spirit's gig. And I'm just going to live my life and have a good. No, listen, we are the scribes of the kingdom of God. We preserve the truth and preach the truth and teach people to live the truth. So. The parable describing the way the scribes of the kingdom of God, that's us, should function, is a parable that uses the term a householder. Now, listen to this here in context, and then we're going to explore this tonight. 
The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder. And how many use that word householder? I never said that in my life until maybe just tonight when I said it to you. I've read it, but we don't say it. It's not a word that we're familiar with. So if you look at that word, you know, we got we to gotta understand what that means. The kingdom of heaven is like a man that is a householder, which brings forth out of his treasure, say treasure, things new and old. Let's look what it means to be a householder. That word householder is translated from the Greek, and the word is oikodespotes, where we get the word despot from. Oikodespotes, and it means the master of the house or the one who has complete authority over the home. So when you're saying the householder, this is the guy who's in charge of the whole house. He knows everything that's in it. He put it in order, and he's got it in order, and he's got his treasures in the house, and he has a full inventory of them, and he can show them and share them because he is large and in charge. Oikos despates, or, you know, however you want to say that in the Greek. I don't know. I'm Italian. I'm not Greek. I'm doing my best here. So... Here's this guy. He's the master of the house. He's in charge. He's got the house in order, and he's got treasures in it. The first thing uh, that we need to look at with this word householder and, and get from it, the first thing we need to get from it is this. This guy's in charge, and he has authority, and he's the master of the house. The implication is here is that we as children of the God, as, as children of God, as scribes who preserve and teach the word of God, have an incredible level of spiritual authority. And I mentioned this, but I have to mention it again. Uh, we need to get comfortable with our spiritual authority. It's not time for us to shrink back or hope somebody else will step up or let somebody else do it or let our marriages or our children or our homes be ravaged by the enemy. You and I need to learn to stand up and use our spiritual authority. Why? Because we're scribes, because we are householders, because we're in charge of our homes. We're, you know, some of us have authority in the house of God. We are in charge of the house of God. We, we have spiritual authority, and it needs to be used. Now, let me read you some scriptures that talk about uh, the scope of our spiritual authority. Luke ten nineteen assures us that we have the authority to smash the works of darkness and enjoy the safety of divine protection. How many like the idea that the angels of God, that God himself is protecting us in these dark days? Amen. How many would like to smash the works of darkness that are attacking our homes and our schools and our families? Luke 10, 19, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Did you hear that? Our authority, we can trample on serpents and scorpions. Our divine protection, nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's our spiritual authority. Let's learn to walk in it. Number two, Matthew 16, 19 tells us we have the authority to bind and loose spiritual things. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The church of God, the people of God, those who are, belong to Jesus have authority to bind and loose. You don't have to call the pastor. Pastor, my house is under attack. Bind the enemy and cast him out and lose the spirit of God to reverse the situation. 
we, God's given us that power. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yes, we should know what we're going to do. We're going to use our spiritual authority in Jesus' name. And we need to cast the devil out of those situations, of our marriages, of our children, out of our finances. Come on now. So how about James 4, 7? That shows us that when we're submitted to God, the enemy can't even engage us. Listen to this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, the devil doesn't have a right to come at us all the time at all different angles every time, every hour of the day. We need to resist him. We need to use our spiritual authority. We need to stop him from harassing us and the things that are under our authority. And when we resist him, he has to flee. Look at that. He doesn't even have the power to engage us. You know, when Satan would appear in heaven every once in a while as God would allow him to come before the Lord. And you remember the situation where he, he got into a discourse with God over Job. And he said, you know, if you take the hedge off him and you let me touch him, he'll curse you to your face. They had this little dialogue. But listen, Satan had to make an appointment to show up. <laughs> he didn't just show up and get in God's face or kick through God's door. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven has complete authority over the kingdom of darkness. And because you and I are part of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, you and I, the church of Jesus Christ, have complete authority over the darkness. So resist him and he's got to flee. Bind and loose the things that are coming against you and, and use your spiritual authority to trample on the things of the enemy and enjoy the divine protection of God. Sometimes the children of God are harassed over and over and over for, for decades, and they just don't know that if they would step up and use their authority, there are things that I struggled with in my life for decades, and then one time I had had enough. I got on my face in the dark before God, and I wasn't getting up until God changed the situation. And let me tell you, he showed up, and I've never had to deal with those situations again. so wonderful to have breakthroughs. So we need to learn how and when to use the spiritual authority we've been given to remove the enemy from all the places he has no authority to be in in our lives. According to verse 52, we've been instructed by the Holy Spirit concerning the things of the kingdom of heaven, and they are like a treasure inside us. Look what it says. The householder, that's us. We're the scribes. We're the householder. We bring forth out of his treasure. Uh, and, uh, you know, this, this, is, this is a matter of perspective here, that we would see the things that God has taught us and trained us and the battles we've gone through and the trials we've gone through and the victories we've had and the defeats we've had that have matured us. All of these things are tucked in us like treasures. All the things that the Holy Spirit's illuminated us through the word of God that's come alive and, and, and replenished our minds and renewed our strength and produced faith in us. All of these things are packed in us. Some of us have sat in church for so long and heard so many good sermons and have gotten so much truth. We are loaded with treasures. If, you, if we could see ourselves in the spiritual realm, we'd be like, loaded. You know, sometimes... Sometimes we need to be less like reservoirs and more like a, a hose. You know, we don't need to store it all up. We need to pour it out. But we're loaded with treasures. If you've been saved for any amount of time, if you've been, you know, a lot of you have been saved since you were kids, you've been in church, you are full of the word of God. 
have experience, you have wisdom. All of that stuff packed in us are like treasures. We're supposed to take what we've been taught, what the Holy Spirit has shown us, the battles, the victories, the wisdom. We're to to take all of that that we have, we're to use it with our spiritual authority that we've been given, and we're to share those kingdom treasures with the new convert and with the lost souls. You and I are supposed to be pouring out what God's poured into us. And you know what? When we begin to do that, the flow is exciting. The fruit is exciting. Our life becomes exciting. Christianity is supposed to be exciting. If you're bored being a Christian, I just want to tell you tonight, you ain't doing it right. And, and, and if I'm bored, you know, oh, I've been doing this a long time. I hear even pastors, oh, I've been preaching for so long, I've got to retire. Really? I, listen, if, if you're bored with the word of God, with the ministry, with the fruit of the spirit, with the move of the Holy Ghost, then I, something's wrong. So it's the pouring in of the Holy Ghost that produces the treasures in us. And we pour them out, and they produce fruit, and we, we go and get them, like the treasures that we have stored in our home, and we bring them out, and we display them, we show them to the new convert, we show them to the lost soul, and they produce fruit. Now, how does the householder do this? They simply share the kingdom treasures that they have by bringing it forth. Look what it says here. Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man who is a householder, he's in charge, which brings forth. There it is. So you and I have to bring it out and and present it. You know, that's why it says that we shouldn't hide our light under a bushel. But we should, you know, get rid of that bushel and let the light shine in the darkness. Amen. We shouldn't hide the treasures and the victories and the things that God's shown us and the wisdom that we've gained and the battle scars that we have. and, And all of these things, we should be bringing them forth. So many of us have so much to give. So many of us have so much to share. So many gifts that could produce fruit in the body of Christ. I think of the people that I know in the church that use their gifts, and I think about how over the years how they've developed and how their gifts have grown. Robert, I think of how you've you've faithfully played your guitar and been on the worship team, and I've watched your gift as a guitar player just, you know, get better and better. I don't care what Martha says. You know, God is using all of, all of these people up here. I see their gifts grow. I see Giovanna blossoming into a credible worship leader. And there's so many gifts here. And you, you got them and I got them. And we've got to bring them forth. The worst thing we could do is sit on our gifts. Could you imagine if some of these musicians just, ah, I'm not playing. Ah, I'm not. That's too much work. It's too loud. I'm getting old can't sit on our gifts we got to bring them forth so the householder just brings forth the gifts that are stored up and they become a blessing to all those that he presents them to how about this little gem it says things new and old i'm going to conclude with two thoughts from this here Uh, the two thoughts that are provoked by this idea of the new and old is number one the implication is that kingdom people that's you and i the scribes of the kingdom of god who preserve the truth of the word and teach it to the people, you and I should be able to communicate truth and principles and wisdom from both the New Testament and the Old Testament. 
there are treasures in the New Testament and there are treasures in the Old Testament. I get thoroughly aggravated with Christians who say, I don't want to hear about the Old Testament. It's we're New Testament now. None of that matters. I, I, I can't. That is so ignorant and so wrong and so foolish that we would dismiss uh, the, the, the bulk of God's word and say, well, there's nothing in there for me. You and I need to be studying the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because let me tell you, there's treasures in all of it. And God said, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Not one jot or tittle will pass away. Listen, you you can't dismiss the Old Testament because Jesus didn't. Jesus quoted the Old Testament more than anything. Well, there, there was no New Testament until he was done. So you say, well, he didn't have much material to work with. Yeah, he did. He had the Old Testament and the prophets and, and, and Moses, and he quoted them. And so good enough for Jesus, good enough for us. So treasures new and old. Christians need to be able to bring out the principles of God's word that can help people in all kinds of situations from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, that only happens if we purpose to be diligent, lifelong students of God's entire word. Notice The name of our church is the full gospel center. It's not the partial gospel or the parts of the gospel we like center. It's the full gospel. We need the full counsel of God's word. Amen. Oh, well, I don't like that Old Testament stuff or don't read me from the prophetic books. That's too scary. I don't want to. No, we got to we got to love it all. We got to know it all. So, well, don't be a know it all, but. We've got to study it all. So the patriarchs and the prophets and the Psalms and the predictive prophecy that's in Daniel and Ezekiel that's unfolding before our eyes today. All of these things are precious treasures and we should understand them. And as God's scribes, we should teach them to people, both the lost and the saved. So I want to close with this last here. The second thought from that little gem, this the things new and old is this. We should have testimonies, life lessons, and biblical principles to share with others that we've learned long ago and that we've learned recently. New and old. There's things that have happened in my life decades ago that there's good wisdom in there for me to share with you. And there's things that happened to me this week or today that the Holy Spirit said to me and showed me and opened my eyes that I should share with you. See, you and I are full of treasures. You know, maybe people have told you you've been full of it for years, but what you're full of is the treasures of God that he's put in you. And, and there's things that happened to you when you were young, when you, you know, the things that you went through, Ray, the things that you experienced in life with football and all the crazy. I mean, he's got a bunch of stories. Just grab them and let them talk. You'll have a good time. You got to share those things. I know you've shared some things with my sons, and, and they, they listen, they'll listen to him, but not to me. He'll say the same thing that I said. They say, you know what Ray said? He was really good, Dad. Keep talking, keep talking, keep sharing. The things that you've gone through, the treasures. You, you know, and I want to say something about this as I'm closing down. You know, it's the treasures that we've got from yesterday and decades ago, but it's also the treasures that we got today. And here's the point I want to make. Too many believers just share the same old stale things that they heard a long time ago, and a lot of times they got it secondhand from somebody else. You know, I hear people quoting this and quoting that, and all of that's good in the right context, but listen, nobody needs to 
preach leftover, stale stuff that you heard secondhand. I'm not going to get up here, Billy Graham's wonderful, great man of God, but I'm not going to preach his sermons word for word. Why? Because it's not authentic. That's not me. That's him. So these treasures, new and old, I've got to have things that have happened in my life. But I, you know, and, and, and I can't just be talking about the old stuff because that's stale. You know, you ever heard, seen some of these Christians? They're stuck in the past. They're stuck in the good old days. Well, I remember the good old days where everyone's hair was short and ladies wore dresses. And yeah, OK, we're not in those days now. And so if all we do is regurgitate the good old days and we've got nothing for the now, that means we're not serving anything fresh. We've got to have things happening in our lives now that we can share with people. Fresh bread. People want fresh stuff. They don't want stale stuff. What's God doing in the church now? What's God doing in your family now? What's God doing in your marriage now? He's not the great I was. He's the great I am. He's not a has-been. He's the God who is moving in our midst. And so we've got to share these treasures, the, the stuff that happened to us, but got to have fresh stuff. If you don't have anything fresh going on in your life, stop everything. Get on your face before God and seek him until he does a new thing. Behold, God is doing a new thing. Amen. Tap into the new thing and get some excitement back into your Christianity. Look, if you're musty and crusty and you look like you've been baptized in lemon juice, pray that God restores and refreshes you. God help us. The older we get, the easier it is to get like that. You ever get around young people, man, they're excited. Everything's exciting. Everything's fresh. Woo, you know, ah, this just happened, that just happened. And you're like, you want to spray them with the cat bottle, man. Just go, go away. But let's not get like that. Treasures, old and new. Fresh bread to serve. What's God doing in us? Share it with somebody. What did God do in your past? You know, us older people, we've got stuff to share with the young people that will help them to not fall into the same pits and ditches that we fell into. Amen. So like a householder, like a scribe, <coughs> that's who we are as kingdom people. And I always want you to remember this. You and I have to know the gospel, have to know the basic tenets of theology, have to know the application of New Testament living so that we can teach it to others. Get the word in you. Be a scribe. Teach it to everyone who will listen to it. Amen. Get the treasures new and old flowing out of your life, and you'll be productive in the kingdom. You'll see fruit in your life, and Christianity will be exciting. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for the word, for this parable, for the whole concept of the kingdom. Lord, I know that I've preached this exactly how you put it in my spirit, Father, and it's powerful, but Lord, I want to live it. They want to live it, so Holy Spirit, help us to get it. It's as if tonight we're hearing the question that Jesus asked his disciples. Do you guys understand all these things? And God, we don't understand all of them, but Holy Spirit, open up our eyes so that we can understand them. And they, they'll motivate us properly and we'll live wisely in these perilous times so that when we stand before you, we'll have a good reward for how we conducted ourselves as kingdom citizens in this dark world. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give him praise tonight.